Hello, everybody. It's so good to be with you today. I get to open the scripture for us, and um, I love to do that. And anytime you open the Bible, you want to ask at least two questions. One, what happened? And two, and more importantly, what's happening in me right now uh, because of what happened? And so I want to talk to you about how to build faith in unsettling times. And so we want to talk about some of the ways that we can have faith operate in our heart and in our life when, when you can't control anything. And I want to talk to you right now about what that looks like in terms of waiting, in terms of waiting. So how we handle liminal transition space has enormous influence on the quality of our next season. In the ancient world, most of their religious archetypes to help them connect with God was centered around seasonal calendars. So you get to a place where it's a T-junction, not a Y-junction. You can't go back, you can't go forward, and you're wondering, what do I do with my next space? So I want to look at two stories, one from the New Testament, one from the Old, um, and hopefully we can identify with ourselves with the characters in this story and, and learn something about how they operated in faith. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, so a couple of thoughts about this. This is obviously a reference to Jesus and his instructions to the disciples to not go out gangbusters, but to wait. There was something else that needed to happen, and that required trust and surrender and not control. So a couple of thoughts about this. Waiting is a part of a healthy spiritual life. It's not all about planning, strategizing, and getting what we see, although all those things are good things. Sometimes we are called to be still, and wait. To organize our life around what's right and what's wrong will destroy our life. It, it, it's, the, it's the first lie told in the scripture. It was told by a talking snake. We should remember it. The idea that, hey, if you get good and evil right, that's the quality of life. No, no, no. The more profound question is not what is right and what is wrong, but what is wise, what is useful, what brings life and not death. And sometimes, although it's good to plan and strategize and go for it, sometimes we're called to be still and wait. Wait, the word wait in the ancient Hebrew language has a great picture to it of wrapping around something like a vine. It's sort of like if a, if a vine was going up a building um, and if, it, if you get it early enough, you could just pull it off with one finger. But once it enwraps itself around that brickwork, you have to knock the whole wall uh, to get it down. So, so in that sense, waiting isn't passive there is an action around waiting that requires us to enwrap ourselves around God like a vine. That, that, that the God consciousness begins to increase and our self-consciousness begins to decrease. So here's a story. It's quite a long story from the Old Testament, but I, I want to tell it because it encapsulates this very well. This is Exodus 19. The people are in a waiting space. They're in a holding pattern. They can't go forward. They can't go back. And they're stuck in the middle of the desert. And this is what it says. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words to, of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. In other words, I'm going to give you some ump to your voice here uh, so that they'll know it's from me. 
So when Moses told the words to the people of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for all the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. In other words, stay in the waiting. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Like if, 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 you, if you outrace this idea, it's not going to bring life to you. It's going to bring death. And no hand shall touch him, and he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds on a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. In other words, God's got a plan here, but you can't outrush it. You can't overrun this thing. It's not going to bring life to you. It's going to bring death. So don't do that. So we have, to, we have to stay in the timetable of God, which requires us to wait. And he said, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud and a mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out from the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire, and the smoke went up like the smoke of, of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look on many of them will perish. In other words, if they overrun this thing, they're not ready for that. This, this is requiring them to wait. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, well, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself told us, don't do that. Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through and come. So just Aaron, it's Aaron's time, not anybody else's time, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down and told them. So th th this is such a strange uh, passage. A couple of observations in it. There's a couple places we, we, we could go here. But what's the most elemental thing is that there's obviously a plan of God that is requiring an unknown period of waiting where the people can't control it, but they have to surrender to it. And evidently, if they overrun God's timing in this, it brings death and not life. So, so let's, let's sort of break this down in some bullet points and see where we find ourselves in the story. God and Israel are having a dialogue, and Moses is the go-between. So, so the people say they'll do whatever God says before they know what he will say. So they're in this position of surrender. We acknowledge out here in the middle of the desert our ability to control anything is none. And so the best life is found when you can't control it is to surrender. And actually, a surrendered life is preferred over a controlling life anytime. And so they're learning this in the middle of the desert. Hey, we don't have any say-so here. We're going to surrender to whatever. You're obviously the person in charge. We're going to surrender to that before we even know. So let's just get that straight. Before we even know what you're going to say, we're in. We're in with your plan because there is no plan B. It's not clear in this passage what God's will is. God never says, do this in this order. He just says, live within limits, don't come near here, and my timing will be obvious when there's trumpets. The closer they get, the more mysterious the encounter is. What's weird in this story is that the closer they get to the breakthrough in it, the more mysterious it is, the less certain they become. The more doubts, the more fear rises in their mind. You would think that the closer you get to breaking through, 
the clearer things would become. But in this story, and I think it's not just true of this story, it's true of my story and your story and Jesus' story and Paul's story, is that the closer you get to the climax of the story, the more confusing it actually gets. Now, waiting in this situation is not a passive thing. It's actually an active thing. In one sense, just the word itself means to wrap around like a vine, like to totally entwine yourself. The idea would be a God consciousness. The idea would be to ask yourself on a regular basis while you're waiting, what would I feel like if I could know you were with me now? And entwine yourself around God's compassion, God's love, God's provision. But then there's some very clear verbs in this passage, like some really like, hey, here's how you wait. Here's what you do. Because telling people you can't do anything is psychologically disturbing. Like just telling people, hey, you're not allowed to do anything, it's, it begins to mess with people's psychology. So God doesn't do that. He just says, hey, you can't go here. You have to wait. But here's five things, five commands in this passage about getting through waiting. One is to get ready. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means to stay in a position of surrender, to stay in a position of consecration, to stay in a position of, hey, wherever this is going, I'm in. I'm not sure where it's going, but I'm ready to go. If I hear that sound, I'm ready to move. It's, it's a, um, uh, the, the word there is a picture like, um, like if, you, if, if you're anticipating someone you love that you haven't seen in a while coming and you, 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 neck, you stretch your neck forward trying to, with full, it's that. It's, hey, live with your neck stretched forward in anticipation of what's coming. Live with a certain sense of expectation and anticipation. Number two, it, consecrate yourselves. To live within limits. The problem with suffering and problem times is that we can often throw it all out. We can throw everything out and just lose the plot. And, and so God says, while you're waiting, live within wisdom limits. Number three, when you hear the trumpet, the time has come, you can approach the mountain. So, so he gives them a clear sign. It's, hey, wait a minute. This is what this will look like. You, it'll be, in other words, you'll know it when you hear it. You'll, you'll know. You'll know when you hear it. Then he says, wait again and be ready for the third day. So the four commands, get ready, consecrate yourself to live within limits. When you hear the trumpet, the time has come. Wait and be ready by the third day. And in the meantime, don't go near a woman. So that's the fifth, that's, that's, that's the five commands there, right? Now, what does this mean for us? What, what, what do we do with this kind of thing? Number one, it's part of a normal, healthy spiritual journey to have moments in the in-between. The space is defined by this. You can't, go, you can't go back and you can't go forward. If you're in a spot right now where you can't go back, you can't go forward. It, it's, it is not entirely a passive waiting. There are verbs, consecrate, obey limits, be eager, Live with your neck outstretched in anticipation. There's that. There are verbs that are active, even though waiting can appear passive. Um, number four, healthy spiritual life is not always wrapped around certainty. Rather, great faith can be forged in the uncertainty, regardless of how uncomfortable it can be. That great faith is not the absence of doubt. Great faith is the presence of profound trust in the middle of the uncertainty. That the central cry of the cross was a cry of uncertainty. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what the children of Israel go through. They're out in the middle of the wilderness, not sure where God is. They're like, hey, we're out here, we're exposed, right? Like the, the disciples, they're exposed in Jerusalem, but they're told to wait. Like the Roman Empire, we've been looking for them. They're, they're told to wait. 
And, and so for us, waiting is uncomfortable because we see it as entirely passive. But what if we could change our imagination of what waiting is and see it as an active thing? A thing where we take a moment and quiet the white noise of our lives because for some of us, our lives have been shut down. And, and we wrap ourselves around God like a vine. That we get ready. That we live with anticipation of what God's next move is. That we stay consecrated and live within limits and, and, and not lose the plot in, in the middle of the whole thing. See, Jesus doesn't tend to deliver a faith life with zero uncertainty in it. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. Jesus doesn't seem to deliver a faith life that has zero uncertainty in it. Like the Bible never says, and Jesus never says, hey, come to Jesus and suddenly your life will be flooded with certainty and lots of, of, of meaning. No, no, it won't. A actually, when you come to Christ and you realize how we live this life, it actually floods your life with more questions and requires more profound trust. See, Jesus doesn't tend to deliver a faith life with zero uncertainty in it. I know that I don't know defines the in-between spaces that requires waiting because doubt is not the enemy of faith. Sight is only going with what you see. Now here's our temptations in the waiting that can rob us. The temptations are to glorify the past, which is what they did. If you keep reading in the passage, they're like, we'd rather go back to Egypt. At least the food was spicy, you know? But they, wait, you were beaten on a daily, you don't glorify the, the past. The good old days weren't that good. They weren't. You, you don't glorify the past. The, the second thing that you could do is to, to ruin this is you can paralyze the present. So you can glorify the past. You could paralyze the present. The, the idea that, hey, this will never end. We'll never get through this. No, no, likely not true. Likely not true. There's always, a, there's always a resurrection. The crux doesn't get the last word. The resurrection does. The exaltation does. Or we catastrophize the future. So we can glorify the past, paralyze the present, or catastrophize the future and ruin the experience of what waiting is meant to bring for us to build faith in troubled times. Now, you might be thinking, well, Shane, this is all well and good theoretically, but how do I do that? How do we, how do we wait and get the most out of it actively? Uh, uh, five thoughts on this. One, value your present. Guard it and make it grow. Like, try to change your focus not on what you don't have, but what you do. What do you still have? You still have a family that loves you. You still have your own health. You still, you, you still have, you, you still have, the, you, we live in a great country, right? There, there's, what, what do you have? And whatever you have in your present, guard it and make it grow. Make it grow. N number two, remain faithful with little. That in, in the middle of this, this is not time to catastrophize the future or paralyze the present. It, it's a time, if we got to where we are being faithful, then we should remain faithful even if what we have is less than what we used to have to remain faithful with little. Number three, stay occupied with daily small duties and kingdom business. To stay occupied. If, if you're in a time of waiting, stay occupied with what you're allowed to do, like being eager, like making sure we're consecrated, like making sure we're ready, like being faithful with, with the little. Number four, make no excuses. Make no excuses. This is not the time to lose the plot. Waiting is not the time where we lose the plot. Waiting is where we enter that liminal space with profound trust and we learn the trust of surrender that allows our life to be possible. And number five, hold it fast. Don't let go. So value your present. Remain faithful with little. Stay occupied with small duties and kingdom business. Make no excuses and hold it fast. This is Luke 22, verse 39. And when he came and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, if there's another way, please make it, but I trust you. And there, there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And he being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? They, they fell asleep from their depression. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. A, a couple of thoughts about this for us. One, it's okay to ask God to take the struggle of the weight away. That's okay. Jesus did. Paul did. Other Bible characters did. And it's normal to spiritual life to ask God to take the struggle of the weight away. But the bigger invitation is a profound surrender to the bigger will of God. Let, let, let's say it this way. To go back into comfort is not often the way, nor is to rush forward too quickly. Are we right now in the in-between and we're trying to get out of the waiting what we're meant to get out of the waiting? And in what sense? Can we name what we left and we can't go back? Can we take a second and actually call it by name? This is what we left. In their story, Egypt. In the New Testament story, the, 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 the temple system of oppression. We left that. We can't go back. But we're not sure what we can go forward to. What do we need to ask God to take from us and then let it go? Can we name our crux? Can we name the suffering? Can we name it? Realize we're in a period of waiting and get the most out of it. Because when we get the most out of the waiting, that is largely going to determine the quality of our next season. I hope Jesus got bigger for you. The cross worked better. The resurrection is central. The scriptures get bigger, not smaller. I hope we can have courage and surrender in an obvious time of waiting. May our faith be built, not about what we believe, but in how we believe what we believe and who do we trust. Grace and peace, everybody.